CTM the Podcast or Conversations That Matter, which is an online program from the McKinney Center, a community arts center that operates under the town of Jonesboro in Jonesboro, Tennessee. We are par- partially sponsored by the Hope in Action Grant from the East Tennessee Foundation. The, and the McKinney Center is located in the Booker T. Washington School, which was the black grade school from 1940 until integration. We record in the Gillespie Building in Jonesboro, Tennessee, which is named for Elmer Gillespie, an alumnus of the Booker T. Washington School. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. And this program is to help us learn about people in our community and hopefully humanize one another. And I'm Skye McFarland. And I'm Michelle Treese. And I'm Brittany Butler. And and I'm Haley Mena. And Haley, you have a Titanic fact for us today? Yep. Did you know that the Titanic was 883 feet long? Amazing. I did not know that. I didn't either. And it's great to have you with us today. Yes, I couldn't, I mean, I didn't know we had a Titanic expert for tonight, so I'm really excited. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for being here, Haley. Thank you. So, we've got some bios to read. Um, This episode that we're going to share with you is from October 2021, and we have Ashley Cavender and... Nancy Cavanaugh. (laughs) Ashley is an ETSU alumni and has been in the area for several years. She is passionate about community organizing, local food, and sustainability. She served through AmeriCorps with Jonesboro Locally Grown and is most recently working with One Acre Cafe, feeding food with dignity to the community, regardless of their means. You will most likely find her at the Nolachucky River with her Jack Russell banjo in the summer months and hiking across East Tennessee in the fall and winter. When she is not volunteering in the community, she is traveling abroad and never missing the opportunity to learn a new skill or travel to a new country. And Ashley actually just got hired on with a new job. So it's interesting going back and looking at this because... Now she's like the director of uh, Meet Me in the Mountains, the festival. Oh, cool. Yeah, so anyways, go ahead. Pretty cool. <laughs> and Nancy Kavanaugh is a well-known resident of Jonesboro, Tennessee, taking an active role in many community organizations. Storytelling brought Nancy to Jonesboro more than two decades ago after she spent a career as an executive for General Motors Assembly Division and Lockheed Martin Corporation. Bringing her organizational skills to Jonesboro, she served as the executive director of the National Storytelling Network from 2000 to 2005. Today, she volunteers with many different groups, including Barta Theater, Friends of the Library, Heritage Alliance, and the McKinney Center. In 2018, Nancy organized the Wild Women of Jonesboro, a nonprofit that has raised more than $23,000 to support unmet needs in the Jonesboro community. It was great talking with those folks. Yeah, what did you guys think? I was really impressed with their their different backgrounds, um, and a lot of they did some traveling that I thought was was very similar yet different. Right. So again, there's a there's an interesting con, kind of connection between the two. Well, it's like these two independent women, mm-hmm. 
but from totally different generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That was the cool part, too. Yes. Yeah. And who both loved Jonesboro. So I picked up on how highly they spoke of Jonesboro and just the community and willingness to volunteer and not want to leave the area. And I think a lot of people share that sentiment once they get here and live here for any amount of time and see how the people connect to each other and just will do anything for each other. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really good community. And I'm, I like how they mentioned that both from, even though they're very different backgrounds, very different um, generations, but there's something for everyone here. <laughs> and they had different reasons for coming to this area. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and once they got here, they stayed. I was uh, very interested in hearing uh, Ashley talk about how she really had very little um, uh, connection or any kind of experience with racism growing up. But then as she got older and, and things were brought mm-hmm. to her attention, uh, she she really sees that now. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that door got opened for a lot of people when George Floyd was murdered, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, you can look at two ways where it's kind of like, well, where were y'all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like, well, good. Now you're on board. Join us. You know? So. Yeah. Uh, there's a great story in there where Ashley and the co-host on this episode mm-hmm. is um, uh, Caitlin and they're good friends and and they shared their experience of going out to the Knowledge Hucky. Uh, and it was just a wonderful thing for, for Ashley to take the uh, cat out there and Kat was like, hey, this is not a place for me. Yeah. So I think that was eye-opening for Ashley. Ashley said she was living her best, best white, white life. life. Nice. Love that line. Living her best white life. <laughs> I, too, have a one river experience <laughs> with white people, I should say, tubing on the Bogachitta River down in. <laughs> Where's that? I think it's in, I think it's in, like, West Louisiana, Western-ish, or near Alabama. I can't, I'm terrible with geography. But it's a tubing situation where you start at one and and get on an inner tube and just drift down the river, and it's. Mm. quite interesting did you see flags like caitlin did there i see that driving around here more than i did down in new orleans or that area but it didn't you didn't have to drive far to see that sort of thing i would say that's more like northern louisiana for sure Yeah. yeah um and outside of the cities in alabama yeah. For sure. Yeah. But that that's yeah. not that wouldn't surprise me though. Haley, have you ever been tubing down the river? Well, at my Mimi's house, we at um my Mimi's backyard. Oh, there's we, a canal that goes there. Yeah. Do you go play in the river? No, we no. Um, my brother thought he saw the alligator well, but it's just like a bus. Well, we do have an alligator that lives back there, so oh, we yeah. can't. Be going <laughs> we can't let them go near. I would not be playing that with an alligator. No, no, no. Ah. My my father feeds it. That's probably why uh. <laughs> it, it hangs out. Oh my goodness. In the backyard. So yeah, I don't know about that. 
Okay. Well, we yeah. think you'll enjoy listening to this. Um, there's lots of good conversations. It's a very Jonesboro-centric episode. Mm-hmm. So yes. if you're a Jonesburian or whatever you call yourself, <laughs> you'll you'll relate to a lot of it. And even if you don't, this is probably a lot of small town stuff that other people can relate to, too. For sure. So hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Hey there, folks. We're so happy to see you all here this evening to tune in to Conversations That Matter. Uh, This is a very exciting one for me. Uh, This is my last Conversations That Matter, unless I come back as a guest, so get your fill. And then also, uh, we have two wonderful guests that I happen to know very closely, and I'm very excited to have some great conversation with them tonight. And so... Michelle, do you want me to introduce them? Would you like to you introduce know, them? I think, well, I think I'd love having them introduce themselves unless you want to add some special stuff. No, I won't. I won't, <laughs> I won't pepper it with anything extra. Let me flip this camera around and we will show you who we've got this evening. Oh, it makes noise. All right. So we have the lovely Miss Ashley Cavender and the even more lovely Nancy <laughs> Cavanaugh. <laughs> we have been great with their presence and we are so excited to have you ladies. Um, we'll start with Ashley. Will you please tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to these lovely folks? Yeah, so I'm Ashley Cavender and I've been a Jonesboro resident for I think going on seven years now. It's crazy I've been in town this long, but um, I started out in Jonesboro seven years ago working for Jonesboro Locally Grown um, and I was just immersed in um, the local food elements of um, the area the region Um, and then since then I've moved on to One Acre Cafe which is located in Johnson City and it's a community cafe um, dedicated to feeding people regardless of their means and that's been an amazing experience so far I've been there for about three years but I love uh, volunteering in the community still. I'm at a lot of events and just try to help out all my friends that still work in Jonesboro. Um, Just, yeah, I'm just always in the community bouncing around doing various things. I like to stay really active. Um, I have a Jack Russell named Banjo and uh, me and him both live downtown actually. And we just, you know, do our thing. So that's me. Lovely, great. And Ms. Cavanaugh, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I moved here 21 years ago uh, to work for the National Storytelling Network and was delighted to be here. I had been here many times for the festival. So coming here was pretty much of a a no-brainer and I found a wonderful little cottage. And uh, so I'm a little old lady in a little old town with a little old cat and a little old house. And we all live happily ever after. Um, And I love living in this area. It reminds me a lot of the area in which I grew up, a small town, small house. And um, I had a fascinating career before I moved here. And maybe we'll talk about that during the evening. Yes, that's great. That's great. So actually you're downtown Jonesboro. That's where I live. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. So that's great. So what, what's the draw to stay? What keeps you here? Oh, um, a lot. I mean, the area is beautiful. I'm originally from Gatlinburg. So 
I love the mountains. Um, I love being outside. I love nature. I love the community of Jonesboro. Um, you know, when I first came here, I had graduated from college and I'd actually like been through a really hard breakup and I was essentially homeless because I lived on campus and I, my car broke down, like my car literally broke down on the way to my interview for Jonesboro Locally Grown. I'm not kidding. And, and Karen Childress like interviewed me. And then a couple days later, she was like, well, you got the position. Can you come back for the a second interview? And I was like, <laughs> can't get there. And she, and basically she was like, she welcomed me with open arms. Like my now boss was like, well, you can live in our basement and borrow our car until you get on your feet. Like, boom, like that. And I was like, really? I was like, you don't know me. Like, you don't know me at all, you know? And, and, and that's where I started. And then I kind of bounced around and stayed in Ed Wolf's apartment and, you know, just kind of hopped around until I found the space that I've now been in for four years. And I think that was a really eye-opening part for me is that this community will do anything for you. You know, if, if you invest in it, it will invest in you, you know, 100%. I know for a fact, like if, if I ever needed anything, like I'd be good. Yeah. And it is my home. Like I, I consider these people my home. I consider this community my home. And how about you, Nancy? Well, um, I think that most everybody who lives here is an immigrant. Um, now, we're certainly not off the boat from and coming through Ellis Island, but we all have come here from someplace else. Um, many of us are retired who, who come here, which I think is a tremendous gift to the region in our uh, time availability and willingness to volunteer and to help the community. I think Jonesboro would have a really hard time if there weren't volunteers for everything from the theater to special events. Um, and so that has given me an opportunity to meet so many people. And I like it. I love being with people and a diverse community of people. Um, Marcy Holly says that you know, we're all on the witness protection program. Why are these people coming here? They must be hiding from something. So um, that's my story for, for being here and, and staying here. I really like it. That's great. That's great. You know, where are you? You're originally from where? Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg. And you are originally from? Well, I was born in Pennsylvania, but I moved here from Atlanta. I had a career in Atlanta. So that was my um, life for 25 years until moving here in 2000. Okay. So those are kind of different places, Gatlinburg versus Atlanta. Looks like, a, you know, two worlds right there. So what did you guys do growing up? Um, we're, we'll jump on into that whole differences. When, when you were in elementary school, Gatlinburg, what was your first connection to a person of color? When do you, do you remember that? Oh, this gets black or brown or- Right. So I say I'm from Gatlinburg. I spent a lot of time in Knoxville as well. So okay. the school that I went to for the majority of my life, including elementary school, was a private Christian school. Okay. Um, they had international students. So we were, I do remember having the, and they were always like an anomaly because they, they were literally like, they lived on campus. So they, they had come from Uganda or like, I remember, 
I can't even remember his name, but it was someone from like Korea and it starts with a D, but I, re I remember him specifically, like he was my friend. Um, yeah. So, and they lived on campus. They were like international exchange students and they had their dormitories and all of that. So I, I went there starting in second grade. So I'd say it was a part of our, just, they were in the same grades as us. They came with us and, and there was always just the international students yeah. that were a part of our class and everyone else was white. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Did they all stay um, for like, were they only the, there for a couple of years, the international students or did they? It varied. It really just depends. You know, they just sort of were like immersed. Like we didn't really ever know that much about their life. Like it most often it seemed that their parents were a, I think they had a scholarship program of sorts, but it seemed for the most part, the parents were able to afford to send them there and they would do it for a couple of years and they would go home in the summers. So it would just be like semesters at the school. And, and again, it was very um, like, Christian church of God based, like we had chapel every Friday, it was uniform. So, you know, I don't know if, if the people sent them, if their parents sent them there for the religious aspects that they couldn't gain in their home country. Like, I don't know the, the answer to that. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I left that school in like middle school. So I didn't really, when I probably would have been able to like really hone in on that. I feel mm -hmm. like in high school, I wasn't able to, cause I left. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. And then when you went to high school, middle school, high school, were you? So that's when I went to Gatlinburg. So I was mainstreamed and I went to public school. Gotcha. How about there? Um, There's not too many people. Also, I don't recommend ever like taking your kid out of private school and putting them into public school in the middle of middle school. It was pretty. That's traumatic. That's just I, traumatic I went kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, regardless, it was, um, we had one black kid the Did entire time. Person, or I just knew it as a black kid. Uh, he, he was a part of the football team, you know, so he was in, in the whole jock crew, but it was a really small high school. Gatlinburg's a very small community, um, and it is either very affluent or very poor, um, and then there's very few in between. Um, I was in the in-between, and the there were a lot of people of color, like um, Mexican people that would work in the restaurants because there's so many restaurants. Right. So people that would come and do that and the kids would, you know, be a part of our class and all of that. But I mean, we all like, we all just kind of like got along again, our graduating class was only a hundred. So yeah, we had one black kid, mostly everyone was white, but like the black kid from what I could tell at that time, wasn't like a target from what I could tell. So they yeah. be good at sports. Yeah, because, you know, I don't know what it would have been if he was, and, and I know his family was more affluent, you know, so he was able to be, you know, in that crowd. Like there was a good contrast of like, you know, the ogles that own everything and that their family and, and he entered, mingled with point? them, oh. you know, so it could have been a totally different picture. I actually, we're friends on Facebook. Yeah, he, he, like, I saw him up here, like, in Johnson City. Yeah, and I, and I, like, did a double take. I was like, I know you, and he was like, I know you. I was like, we went to high school together, and then, I don't know, yeah, he's still kicking around the area then. Yeah, I should just message him you and should. just be like, <laughs> what was it like being the only black kid? <laughs> it would be great to have a two black No, seriously. 
I'll do that. <laughs> All right. How about you, Nancy? Tell us about growing up. Though. Well, my growing up experience was probably similar to, but a lot different from what um, Ashley spoke about. Um, both of my parents were college educated, which was quite unusual in the late, mid to late 1940s. Um, and we lived in a town that was a mill town manufacturing. It was on a river and it was on a hill. And the people who lived in the row houses along the river were all mill workers, whether they were cotton mill or other kinds of manufacturing mill workers. And there was also an enormous steel company there. And uh, so there were many, many, many immigrants. And if I go back and look at the census records, I can see with the flow of immigrants coming and not so much British, but there were Irish. And then there were the Germans. And then there were the Poles. Polish people and the Italians. And if you look at the census record over a period of time, those same names at that same address, their country of origin changes because Europe was in such a disarray that some would be listed from Poland, some would be listed from the Ukraine, some would be listed from Russia. And so, it was an amazing amalgam of people. So we didn't have very many, any black people. It was all ethnic. And boy, was it as radical as it could possibly be with separation. We had a Roman Catholic church. We had an Irish Catholic church. We had a Polish Catholic church. We had all the Catholics that you could possibly find. And they all had their own church and they all had their own elementary school. And so there was a public school and I went to the public school and I went there through fourth grade. At the end of fourth grade, this is where uh, racism and prejudice comes in that my parents decided that I should go to another school. And my father was also teaching at this other school and it was on Philadelphia main line. Now, if you know Philadelphia and if you know suburban Philadelphia, it's a very, very wealthy area. And I was the teacher's daughter. And obviously it was not in that same class of people of the children that I was you know, put into this space in this school. And I can remember so clearly my first day of school there when I went I don't think my father took me. I think somebody from the office probably took me to this classroom. And I walked in and here are 20 so children all seem to have blonde hair, blue eyes, bows in their hair and cute little dresses. And they were all sitting in groups of four around you know, their tables. There was one table that had two children at it. And I knew as soon as I saw that, that that's where I was gonna go. I was going to sit there. There was one girl that was black and the other girl was a girl who died in several weeks. She had a terrible kidney disease and there was just, this is 1950 now. So there was, you know, she was very ill. So there I was, this outsider with this other outsider, a black child. And it was such an exclusion. I, we just, 
were not inc really included, we were tolerated. And then it was made worse for me because my father drove me to school and drove me home from school. It was too far to walk. So I couldn't walk home with the students in the school. I had to wait for my dad and, or he would wait for me. And so from the time I was in fifth grade till I graduated, I rode to school and rode home every day with my father, which had a huge influence on my growth and my personality. And my father knew everything. <laughs> he knew everything in, in the school. Um, so it was um, a very elite upper upper middle class group of students. And I was not, I mean, I was white and that was about the only credential that I had to, to be at the school. And I was easily excluded. My sister who's five years younger had a very different experience than, than I did, but it was, it was really rough for me and trying to find a place to fit in. And I, I've carried that with me all my life of always feeling other and outsider and you know wherever I've lived my work um I was an outsider and so I mean while it was wonderful and I loved it we can talk more about it later I can see the impact of caste and class in in my life um there's there's no doubt that I have been privileged you know I came out with white skin and that set me on a whole different trajectory of opportunities, what was available, how I was treated, how I am treated today. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm learning more about that and becoming more sensitive to being an anti-racist. It's a huge uncovering job. So when you were put in this, this table with this, the black student and the other student who ultimately passed away, did you see any treatment of being excluded? How did that feel? What, what well, did you experience? You know, it's like on the playground, you're the last chosen. Mm. <laughs> you know. And did you and the black student, yeah. did you prove you become yeah. friends? Not, not so much. She was, I think she was just as isolated as I was. Um, she she and I didn't have much connection. I had never been around a black child before. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember any that were in the school that I went to for, for four years. There, there were lots of uh, very much lower class children whose parents worked in the factories and in the mills. And certainly we would have called them disadvantaged children at, at that point. But I was, I was pretty well, um, what should I say, um, isolated. Um, my, my mother in particular, um, had a lot of, you can't go there, you can't do this. Um, there weren't any people of color on the street where I lived. Um, there were ethnic, different ethnic groups there, but my parents kept a pretty close eye on my whereabouts and my connecting with other children. I wasn't allowed to go in their yards. I wasn't allowed to go in their houses. Um, things like that. So why do you think that is? Because my parents were like that with me growing up. Like, you aren't going, no, you can't go play at their house. No, you can't do this. <laughs> no, you can't do that. Yeah, now I, I did other social stuff. Yeah. Other things, but I mean, if it was a slumber party, dad was there at like 6 a.m. to pick me up. 
everybody was still asleep. He's like, get in the car. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious of why, even if it were, well, if they were white. You know, if I said to my mother, are you prejudiced? I would have gotten an answer of no, because it's so baked into us. Mm -hmm. So, um, but here's an example. Uh, the people who live next door to us were Catholic, Irish Catholic, and they had three boys, Jimmy, Joe, and Jackie. And I really wanted to run with them. <laughs> I just, you know, I was happy to go off with them and I was not allowed to go in their yard. And so one day I said to my mother, I really would like to be Catholic. And we're, we were Lutheran. And she said, you want to be Catholic? I said, yes. She said, why? I said, well, they go to church on Saturday night and they can sleep in on Sunday. <laughs> so that was my <laughs> desire to be, you know, to be Catholic. Um, they kept very close eye on me. And as much as I've tried to unpack that period of time, I just know that that break at the beginning of fifth grade had a huge influence on how I have lived the rest of my life as a single, mostly as a single person um, of surviving on my own, of taking care of myself. And I don't mean to say that my parents and family didn't, but I just was always out there. I was the firstborn. And so um, I didn't have people around me who were other. Um, by 10th Avenue was all pretty white and was what was very white and mostly Protestant. And so that was the world that I knew. So how about you with your first friend who is other? No, um, <laughs> no, I mean, I don't give me a minute. <laughs> um, no, I really, I just. I mean, again, Sevier County, like if you look at the demographics as, as white, like it's white. I mean, this area is white, you know, like mm -hmm. I really like, like from a, if you're talking like friend perspective, obviously like I knew people of color, like in college, especially and stuff like that. I feel like I really was actually pretty just like, didn't really, I was, I mean, I was pretty privileged like growing up. Like I really didn't see color color did did you have you ever had a really close friend that is not white even caitlin okay okay i mean seriously like i saw the no seriously like all my best friends growing up were white um all the people that i i still am friends with from from childhood were white i mean yeah it just never, I, I really didn't dive into, I think just different diverse perspective thinking, whatever, until like, you know, like George Floyd. Yeah. Well, we were, we've been friends for well before. Yeah, but I think, well, yes. And but again, as far as like what Nancy was actively being yes yes like I think I was more so like I don't see color as in I'm accepting 
of everybody. Like, again, I, I think I actively my whole life have now looking and knowing all the phrases and stuff like have tried to be anti-racist, but I didn't really, you know, know what that encompassed, but you know, I really don't think like I honed in on it or I really understood it until George Floyd, until 2020, until like all of the the shadows and and the just wool that was over our eyes. Like I've lived a privileged life. Like I never really thought about it or saw it. And, you know, and, and Kat, obviously like when, you know, we would talk about it, but even then, like, it's like something really clicked, you know? I mean, she got a fire up under her, obviously, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, I mean. <laughs> Which I'm not, I've never been, like, I'm not an organizer. Yeah. I'm normally a, let's keep everyone happy. Yeah, I'm like, I really, my whole life. yeah, I really feel like me and her, you know, we had a lot of connections in the sense, like, we dive into the community and we want to do all these things and be a part of all these things. And, and you know, yes, she's a person of color. Yes, I'm white. Like, but we never really had those hard conversations like right. until this happened. And, and I, you know, I did confide in her, you know, like they say, like, don't make it their problem. I asked her, you know, I was like, this is scary. You know, I was yeah. like, I don't know what to do. Like I'm overwhelmed. Like I want to be an ally, blah, blah, blah. All the things but white people say. Reading the book. Cause I was right. like, okay, do you have A, B, C, and D in your bag? And you were like, yes. And I said, <laughs> okay, well, you're on the right and track. I, and I did say, you feel free to ask me anything. No. And I did. I was like, I, I know this is a heavy time. Like, don't let me as the white person, like, you know, but again, I wasn't asking her to do the work. I was just asking her if I'm doing at least something. Yeah. If it makes a difference. Just something. Yeah. To be more aware because my entire life I haven't been. Right. And in most cases we hear people, I haven't been aware because I haven't had a reason to. I haven't. You know, I haven't had a reason to. I never, you know, dated a person of color. I never, you know, do I think that my parents would have been okay with me dating a person of color? Yeah. You know, I don't think now looking back, like I don't think that, I don't think that was ever going to be an issue. There just weren't people of color. Yeah. Like there was no one to, I mean, all my, you know, right. people I've dated and anything like that, they just fight. Nancy, if you came home and said, my mom would date this, this black Catholic man next door. <laughs> this Catholic <laughs> man. <laughs> well, could be sure. <laughs> Ask me that again. <laughs> what do you think your husband would have said if you said, you know, mom, it's cool, dad, it's cool. There's this really cool black guy. I'd like to, to bring him home. We want you to meet him. Do, do I think my father would have had more trouble with it than my, than my mother. Um, I think my mother reflected a lot off of my father. And the other piece of the story is that we lived right next door to my father's parents. Oh. And so there was always oh. that um, eye watching. Mm -hmm. And my so. I think that's part of what restrained us with being next to my grandmother. And my grandfather died when I was quite young. So it was my grandmother most all of, all of that time. Um, and she had plenty to say about everything. And so that was probably part of the caution of, I went to college and the only black people there were people from Africa. Um, I had several nice friends from from Kenya, um, but 
and we did things together, but I wouldn't say that I dated anybody for a long period of time. And then after college, I was married and we were in the military. So that was a real heterogeneous group of people. And you, you know, we lived wherever we were assigned to live on, on post. So that was a very integrated living space. Um, and then after that, I went to work in the factory and there were a lot of black people in, in the factory. And um, that was probably the first close association that I had with, with black people. Was, and, and how was that? Can you remember or, or recall it, like one of the, one of the black folks that you got really close with, like when you had lunch, you guys always sat together, but someone was uh, close that you could recall? Well, when I went to work in the factory, I was hired as a, a they called me a street hire. So that was a real positive thing to be called, don't you know? She's a street hire. <laughs> no, I told Nancy, she's told me the story before. And what did I say? That your biography is going to be called, and if I have to write it myself, it will be a street hire named Nancy. <laughs> like so, it was in the 70s. <laughs> it was in the 70s. And that's when Vietnam was over. And there were a lot of um, job opportunities and job fairs and, and so forth. And so I was invited to go to one. I had been teaching school and I, my contract ran out. So I went to the job fair and uh, Buick Motor Division. Now I didn't know anything about cars other than you know you put gas in there and he drove it. And, and so you just had to say, daddy, what do I do now kind of thing. So um, I had a background, my college, was in chemistry and, and German. And so uh, Buick Motor Division was interested in hiring me for a science chemistry lab. And I thought, this is not for me. I don't want to be in a laboratory by myself. I like people too much. And what really sealed the fate of that was that when I went to the superintendent's office for the rest of the interview, the art on the wall behind his desk was the periodic chart of elements. And I knew for sure that I did not want to work there, but he took me out into the factory and I was mesmerized by the factory. I just thought it was fascinating. As I said, my parents were both educators. So I had no family background of business, any kind of work in the mills, factories or anything. Well, that didn't pan out, but a few months later I was, went back and I was hired by General Motors Assembly Division. They needed white, well, they needed women in non-traditional careers because they had federal contracts and that was the time of equal opportunity and putting women and people of color into positions where they hadn't been. So I was known as the street hire, the teacher from North Carolina. I had moved to Atlanta from North Carolina. And so, I thought that sounded pretty cool. You know, I was new and I was, I was still hired off the street. Well, that was code, meaning, well, first of all, you're an outsider. You're not one of us. You didn't come up through the ranks. And so therefore, uh, you're an outsider. And then when they said uh, a teacher, well, what does that say? I had an education and everybody there did not have that kind of an education. It was factory where you you know you put doors on hinges and all of those kinds of things and those men and women had come off of farms this is now in the 70s early 80s and 
this was a great job for them because there was um, all kinds of benefits and it was really good income. So it took me a long time to unpack what they were saying to me that, you know, the street hire from, teacher from North Carolina wasn't a nice thing. It was pejorative, but that pushed me out. Yeah, they didn't, you know, they tolerated me, but that was where I met a lot of black people and it didn't seem to matter. I have had several that have continued through the years, the friendship after I left General Motors and went to work at Lockheed and one in particular from Lockheed, a wonderful man that worked for me in uh, one of the departments that I worked in. So there was that integration. It was much more integrated at Lockheed than it was in, at General Motors. Oh, wow. She's got, she's got the history. I know. It is. It's really interesting. And, and in these conversations, I haven't heard any, any information about um, the struggles of being friends with people of color. Like a lot of folks have, well, I remember the first time, you know, my, the first time I met a, a person of color was a situation where there was some kind of a conflict or uh, a lot of times, uh, especially folks like growing up in the 40s, 50s, they had a maid who was black, mm, which is not mm -hmm. a conflict. But when you think back today about that, that's a different, that's a different dynamic. Kind of yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. So very interesting. Very interesting. Do you think um, moving to Washington County from where you both came from, is that different? How, how do you, similarities? Uh, living here in Washington County? I think it's more diverse from where more I came diverse. from. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is more diverse. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just more forward thinking from where I came from yeah. specifically, which is, you know, <laughs> I don't want <laughs> people are like, wait, what? No, it really is. It is. You get back in there and like, oh, Cosby. Yes. I mean, I names were called. Buses were rocked. I actually just remembered. I just remembered. I I don't know who or what, but basically, I heard someone say something at some point. If you're black, don't go to Cosby. Period. No. Oh, yeah. We went to Cosby. Didn't you? Cabins. Yeah. No. Like seriously. It's like true. like it's don't. there. There are bad things that happen there. Like, that there's was, there are active KKK members. Like this is straight when up. I was in the late 70s. Yeah. This is they're like, still there. Like, like they're still now. there. Like there were people that I knew whose fathers were, yeah. you know, like and yeah. And I and obviously I'm appalled at this because I'm like, what? So no, there were some backwoods people. And they are still there. And they're still there. Yeah. So. We took the back road to go to Gatlinburg just to drive. Which we beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> but you don't. Yeah, I don't get out. Of the there car. were no black kids at Cosby. I'll tell you that. Yes, I mean at Cosby that's, High. That's when I was in school, and I still yeah. do that now. You were talking about it's still going on. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, I, I be, yeah, I guess I, when I was working on this and going back in time. I could not remember the name of the black girl in my fifth grade class. And I could not think of any black students in high school. Mm -hmm. So that tells you where my racism 
was at that time that it was just, you know, you were excluded, it didn't matter. Um, I didn't know if, uh, I wrote to a friend and said, tell me, you know, did we have black students in high school? And he sent me a list of probably six names that were in our class and I have no recollection of them. Mm. So um, it's just a, you know, commentary on how racist um, the culture is and how it's baked into us until we start unpacking it and thinking about that it, while it might be very safe for me to go anywhere at any time, just like you said, you couldn't get out of the car or you can't go to places by yourself or you're anxious going to some place. Am I being watched? Like, what do they think I'm going to do? I've never thought that. Just, I'm yeah, saying like yeah. from the perspective of like- Remember when we went to the river? That was intense. That, okay. That was really eye-opening. Yeah. I don't want to interrupt what you were saying. No, yeah, I'm okay. just, I'm just, you know, as I, as I said, as I've tried to unpack my life and, and look at it, I see what white privilege is. Yeah. Have you ever experienced, been in the place to experience racism to someone else? Like being able to say, oh my God, I just saw what happened. Yes. Can you tell yeah. us about that? Well, I've, I've seen it in stores mm -hmm. where um, I'm treated differently than, than somebody else, um, particularly in a department store and I'm standing at a counter and there's a, a person of color um, standing next to me and the eyes of the clerk come right to me without thinking who was there first, that I must be the one that needs to be taken care of. Has that been recently? Yeah. How recent? I just want people to realize out there. Well, I, I mean, it's on. It's ongoing. It's I. I see how black people are ignored um, or dismissed, um, and even if I'm not a participant in, in just looking at how people respond to someone of color in the grocery store, um, moving away from them. Um, it's there. It's, it's there. It's and it's so. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but what I see is it's so, it's so subtle. Yes, absolutely. It's so subtle that I think the person that is doing it or saying it is thinking, "I'm going to do this. I'm going to say this. That black person will never know this." I think if a person, I think if a person were called on it, they would deny it. Yes. I was. I didn't mean that. That's not what I. Yeah. Mean. Yeah. I didn't say that. Yes. I didn't. You know, I didn't move away. Yeah. Or I didn't get in line before him or her. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know they were standing. There'll be some excuse right. yeah. to cover. Oh, I didn't see you. That's yeah. What I get the, to cover the. I'm like, uh, no, I'm next. Yeah. To cover you. the. Yeah. You know, because it's too hard to to say, yeah, I'm a racist. It's too right. hard that's the, to say. Um, that's that's it's, and nobody, we don't want to admit it because we have to do something about it. Well, I want to hear about this river incident. <laughs> it wasn't, if we can share it. It's not, a, no, it's not an incident. It was really eye-opening. It was before George Floyd, wasn't it? It we was. Were talking about this racism and you were like, I don't see any of that around here. I come out here all the time. 
Ashley's a river rat in a good term. <laughs> like she's out there all the time, kayaking, floating. Yeah. Just on the beach, which I didn't know there was like a river beach. So I took her out there. She did. And it was the first and the last time I went. <laughs> which is sad. But yeah. anyways, we were just driving like out there and you have to go through the outskirts of the county. Yeah, on the way to the Nolichucky. So, so you have to go through outskirts of Jonesboro into Unicoi County, Irwin, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we were just driving and I was just like, blah, blah, you know, live my best white life. And like, <laughs> like and she was like, I don't even know what happened, but I think we saw a bunch of like, I, I think this is Trump era. I counted. Well, what was it? I, I was counting. And yes, it was like around while Trump was camping. Or you saw rebel flags. Or... Before, yeah. So anytime I see, I see a rebel flag like a hundred miles. <laughs> yeah. And she, she was like, there's a lot of rebel flags out here. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, it's like, they won't bother you. And she was like, I was like, bing, 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 bing. she was like, Ashley, <laughs> I, I would it. never like go out here by myself. You know that, right? And I was like, what? That's stupid. I was like, like I hike out here all the time like you know I was just so just like what like I was she was like I'm black I was like you need to be real careful <laughs> yeah she was telling me to be careful and I was like yeah I was like no it's fine and she's like I'm black like no I'm not coming out here and and it like we're laughing about it but I really was like that really opened my eyes like Kat has opened my eyes to a lot of things because she's my first black friend <laughs> yes. I do it for you know? I mean I've been have to be there for a while but yeah and I was like oh my god she can't just go hiking like like I just go hiking like on the AT in Unicoi County no big deal yeah have you been since then to the, to, to the have you been back on that same road since? oh yeah and have, do you think differently now that you drive it I think I just think differently now period, period with mm-hmm. everything that's happened and even you know in the books I've read and the podcasts and the things and the protests and you know I mean I just I'm just totally more aware like even the subtle racism and things like that like again I haven't actively seen it I've, I've seen it briefly at my job because we do have a lot more diversity coming through the doors at one acre so I do see sometimes you know when people are sitting down and eating their meal and a person that seems to be homeless and at risk um, comes in and as a person of color I, I, I see it I see people tense or or look or I watch it and it's so fascinating to me you know and and they even do that with white people too so you know we could go on a whole nother you know about classist and 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 how you have different injustices amongst socioeconomic status so you could go there even like And I think that's what's intriguing that I've seen it from my personal experience of like, you know, you have someone that comes in that is seemingly living on the streets and that is maybe under the influence or something. And sometimes if it's someone's first time and they're not used to it, like they get very uncomfortable. I've seen people like move seats, Mm -hmm. like go somewhere else. And the person's just sitting there, you know, just getting a meal or, you know, they're not disturbing or anything, but it makes them uncomfortable. It's really interesting because I think you guys are probably the first two white people, I think. To no, I think so. And and we usually talk about race and race and race, but 
both of you have pointed out two situations where when you were growing up, you're looking at the differences in ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And even we haven't gotten into the details, but I would imagine because of separate churches, separate yes. schools, there's this segregation uh, yes. of because you are other. Yes. And then here, you know, I've never been in one acre and I need to go there because I think it's a wonderful thing. But even in the purpose of that restaurant, yeah, you still have that classism. Yeah. And that's I, and no, it right. it has knowing who you will be sitting next to, and you still have, and I say you, people that go there that do that have the audacity to segregate, even in that place, or they don't even be safe. Yes, and it and it is, but what is also intriguing is you see people over time that come in. So I've seen specifically people over time that will come in. And we have community tables, you know, they'll sit by themselves. I'm talking about maybe the, the people that come in that are paying and paying it forward and things like that mm-hmm. um, versus the ones that are coming in and working in exchange. You know, again, we try not to other and do all of that. Everything's like, you know, we're all just here to eat. That's yeah. um, but, you know, you have all that diversity. So like they'll come in and over time, I've seen a couple people that will sit at the community table and, and, and they'll sit next to that person over time. So it just shows that perspective can change mm-hmm. and that food can be a really good groundbreaker and it puts you on the same playing field because they're both just there to be sustained and nourished. Mm-hmm. So for them to be able to sit and share a meal over or with each other, mm-hmm. I think is a really is. intentional and important thing. And I think that that's something we should all like really think about it just is. in general. Like I think breaking bread is, is a literal part of our existence as human beings we all have to eat yes. and I think you know again seeing people that initially maybe came in and that were very uneasy seeing people that really are no different than you we're all just a couple paychecks away from oh being in that same spot oh my that same spot and that's what makes you uncomfortable mm-hmm. we're more we're more alike than people think so and I think I'll take back some of my anger passion about that because maybe that's what it takes is for you to come in and sit at your high table do it look yeah at those people and then say ultimately soon i'm going to sit with those people. yeah and and i'm i'm happy with that kind of progress and i see it i see I mean, it every that's, day that's great i see do. it every day so i think that having spaces that are mm-hmm. safe spaces that mm-hmm. can really open people's eyes I, I have a question. Have you had any of the Johnson City commissioners come in and eat at One Acre? Because I think they need to. Um, yes, we have. A lot of people have business meetings there. Without cameras? Um, without cameras. That's good. Uh, there has been at times certain people come in when they're in the hot seat. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I got to choose my words here. <laughs> um, I think that when when you come in to a restaurant and you eat and you see that these people aren't out to destroy your community, they're not out to steal your things, they're not malicious, they're just hurting Mm -hmm. and they have trauma 
And most often I feel that the people that are in those higher positions of power have never seen that. I don't know that. I'm just assuming from what I've tried to research from, from some of these folks, they haven't seen poverty. They haven't been a part of that. It's just been handed to them, mm-hmm. their affluent lifestyle. So I think it, I think it does them. I think it's very important for them to come in and sit. And I've seen them come in and sit whenever they have been criticized for not being mm-hmm. more open-minded. Did it change their perspective? I don't know. I haven't asked them personally, but I think it's very important. Yeah. So I won't go any further. And that's good. That's uh, good to yeah. hear. Yeah. Because I agree completely. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. I think it's easy again to sit at a high table. Yeah. And enjoy your, your meal. Yeah. You know, and that's, literally eating the meal and figuratively in in a position of power Mm -hmm. and enjoy and i like that everything is the same like you only have one menu per day right it's all based on donations and everything Mm -hmm. so there's not like options like i'm gonna have steak and tuna tartar at one acre (laughs) over there is gonna have ramen oh god no everyone gets the same thing and everyone gets yeah totally so it makes it easier to like see eye to eye because we're all eating the same meal. That's the same. Thing. It does. Yeah. I could go on soapboxes forever about that. So we'll, <laughs> yes. well, okay. We are like almost done. So, right quick, Nancy, you have provided some amazing reading lists. So, if you could tell folks um, a book that you would say, if you got to read one book, what would it be? Or maybe what are you reading now? What would you say? I would tell a person to read a book called White Fragility, and it's by Robin DiAngelo. And it's about the precarious nature that white people live in, in order to stay better than others. Um, And so it was a real eye opener for me to read her book. And she has another book called Nice Racism. it's a very, I think they're both on that, on that list. Um, again, how the white, us white people can be very nice and, but the oppression is um, insidious and the oppression is hidden. It's not overt, but it's covert. Um, and I think that it's really important for white people to begin is begin to unpack our our stuff and see how we have oppressed others um, for 400 plus years um, with inequities, with redlining, with building highways through the middle of communities, um, of in uh, of unequal resources meted out in, in communities. Um, I, it's all around us and it's very hard to, to, to give up that privilege and yet it carries a big price and it's a very weighty thing to have all this privilege in a bag on your back and you're constantly working to be better than somebody else. Um, in the in the caste system that we have in this country, um, it's not like 
looks like in India, but we have people who are relegated to a certain segment of the population and are allowed to do certain things. And to get past that is hard, hard work. Yeah. yeah, I was reading something, and I'm sure you guys have heard it, but a lot of this is uh, people think that uh, letting go of that white privilege and letting go of those those uh, benefits that you have because you're white is like dividing pie. Yeah, it, it's not pie. It's not like if I give you some of this and I'm going to have less pie. Yeah, it's not at all. But people feel like if I give up that. Then I'm going to get less. Yes, mm. and and it's not. It's yeah. not at all. It's just other folks want yeah. the opportunity as well. Yeah. yeah. I think I maybe would like to share um, a book that I read. Yes, like, that was my next question. Okay. <laughs> um, just because, like, again, I have not really dove into this until just recently in the past few years. So, from someone who's just sort of buffed it about life. Um, I, I really enjoyed uh, reading Between the World and Me. Mm -hmm. That was a really good, I can't remember the author. Uh, uh, Is it on? Yeah, Donacy Coates. Yes, yes. And it was, it wasn't too, this is privileged to say, painful, you know, like at, for me to read, but very eye-opening. Like, I think that's when I really started to see the, oh, in the grocery store, like the subtle racism mm -hmm. and things like that. I think it really like opened my eyes in a way that was, beneficial but not absolutely just gut-wrenchingly hard the yes. second book I started to read and have not finished because whoa is how to be an anti-racist mm -hmm. and that was that was a lot so I had to like put that down just because my job was a lot in the pandemic and not the privileged thing to say but and well and, I, I agree with you though There's but it was heavy and I couldn't invest in it so I was like okay but that I think that one is one I really want to get through so. Same. I haven't finished that one either. It's and a that lot. First chapter where you're talking about writing the speech as a child. I went through all that magnified being biracial because, like, light skin. Yeah, it's heavy. Yes, I was like, whoa. It's hard. I was like, here. there's privilege within the black community. There's mm -hmm. racist Colorism, within the black community. Yeah. Like, it. I was like, oh, this is too much. Mm -hmm. It's like I can't. <laughs> it's a lot. It's so like, you know, we had this conversation before about hair. Yes. Oh my gosh, I grew up having bad hair. I'm gonna watch that documentary and, about you know, hair. We were, for those folks at home, we were talking before about the movie called Good Hair. The good Hair. Netflix yeah. Documentary. Yeah. yeah good Hair. Chris Rock. Chris Rock. And we were saying that you know even white folks, women and men too, probably, but we're talking women here. Even white women have issues with hair. That like, why do we feel the need to change our natural hair? Yeah. like across Justice. all like ethnicities ethnicities exactly. and like like Friends. why do we yeah. trends yeah. yeah and uh, for me I, I was saying I wore what I call the white girl hair I'm gonna flip to our hair when I first started teaching you know and it was the jury the little perm you guys know what I'm talking about some of you <laughs> and as soon as I got that letter of tenure I'm like, like my curly white girl hair is gone wow. and I've had dreadlocks ever since and, and they're beautiful and I wow. wish that I had this hair when I was five my mom she just you know the pressing and the hot combs and the product after product and you could not run because if you sweat we would say your hair looked like this your hair was <laughs> where you were and that was not a good thing I've been embracing so, my natural hair yes yeah you have and it grows out of my head 
Like this, y'all, and it is curly as can be, and it looks so it's crazy. It's long. Exactly. It's wild. It's long. I mean, it is. It. I've had to cut it several times, but I. I it's so cool. It's one of those things that we, when you try to change ourselves, uh, I, I did to be accepted, to not mm -hmm. to try to fit in, and my mom did it her whole life to look like have hair that looked like white girls. Because then you look that much closer to a white person and you're accepted. And no, if I if I ever had a daughter, she would never go through that. Never. Same. Well, because it's and I'm, I'm my child learning days, my child having days are done, or I adopted mine, so child buying days are done. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, it's one of those things that it's, we we do things so that we can be so accepted. But then on the other side of that, when you're so, as, as people of color, when you're so sometimes not accepted, even though you're working so hard to be accepted. So yeah, it's a, it's a different struggle. It really is. Do either of you have any questions for each other? No. <laughs> no. Not at all. Come okay. on. Well, actually, Ashley didn't talk about her overseas adventure that I think is just so remarkable. And you, questions weren't asked that would bring that up. But well, a number of years ago, Ashley was all set to go to China. Yeah, she I was, would have been there during the pandemic. She, not, well, you were going, this was several years before this. China? China, because you came I to my house. I and, did remember, yeah. And, okay, did remember. and we looked at pictures and all, and then yeah. you decided not to go to China. Instead, you went to? Italy. Italy, all by herself. And had no language experience. And talk a little bit about what you did. Yeah, you are an advocate for solo traveling. Is it okay? Is this you a space to, to share? Okay. Is what? Oh, <laughs> sure. Okay, I'll just share it really quickly. So I had never been out of the country before. And again, this is what Jonesboro helped me do this too. I'd never been out of the country before or anything like that. I had always dreamed to go um, to Italy and WOOF, which is Worldwide Organization for Organic Farming. So you work on a farm. Um, and I went, I found a really good flight and I went for a whole month by myself, backpacked all around Italy. And it was the most amazing life-changing experience of my life. And I worked on a farm and actually we had this conversation last night. I definitely experienced like a form of like prejudice or racism or well, like gender, mm -hmm. not racism, but like, well, almost reverse racism. I don't know. Genderisms? Yeah. Because, <laughs> no, because after we talked about this, I was like, oh my gosh, they literally, I guess, Ashley, the name Ashley in Italian culture is more of a male name. They thought it was a male. Oh, when they, when you were coming? Yes. They were expecting it. And I showed up and he was like, oh God, like he was, he was pissed. Like he was like, oh God, I have this like white girl who's not going to be able to work. She's just going to live her like stupid Italian dream or like whatever. I worked my butt off, man. Like I built a whole floor in a barn with hammer and nails. Like, <laughs> like there's a lot of weird stuff that happened and it was really hard. And yeah. And I felt very isolated, like, because they yeah. all talked in Italian the entire time. And now, I was just like, Dun -dun -dun. Wolf, is this a, so you go around to people's farms, you live, yeah, and you picked all their, like, I, I have friends who, friend whose daughter, I think, went to the probably mushroom farm. You could do anything. You, I went to a homestead. Okay. 
Um, but you could do wine, you know, in wine country, you could go to a big vineyard. There's wolf farm sites here, like in this region, there's all over the United States, but it's each country has its own wolf network. So you have like wolf Italy, which is what I did. It was like a $50 membership. Um, but you could do wolf China, wolf, Hawaii, woof, well, not Hawaii, but you know, like, and how did you get around? Did you get like a little travel ticket thing on a, on the bus or how did you get around? You just like, I took a bus. I slept <laughs> in a train station cause I missed my bus. Oh my gosh. And I did a lot of things. It was crazy. It was crazy. Like, have you ever been like so terrified, like, but then no. you just like do it anyways. Oh, That's no. like what that trip was. <laughs> yeah. that, I do that all the time. I love it. It's like, cause it's so much growth and like amazing, like yeah. just internal, like dialogue is just on the other side of that fear. And if you can get through it, it's just like this high. You need to leave that class for real. What class? What class? Sorry, we just got on a whole note. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah. I think every woman should eat alone, travel alone. Yeah, do all the things alone. I know that you could be an advocate for that. Yes, I would. I don't need a partner. Well, to do stuff. I dropped out of college for a year to go to Germany to be a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Au pair. There you go. Um, my German professor and his wife were going to Munich. He was writing a book, and um, they needed a, a kinder matron, au pair. And I said, "Don't you want me to go with you?" And they said, "Yes." And so I, my father would not let me fly because he didn't believe in airplanes and so i had to go by ship you took a ship i took a ship this is this is a hundred years ago now this is a hundred years ago i i went the ship name of the ship was leonardo da vinci and it was full of college students going to um study abroad and i was going to work abroad and so but i was all by myself and i i uh disembarked in naples and took a train from there to uh, Munich, Germany, where they met me. And same like you, it was just all by myself. And you meet all kinds of cool people and it's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. See, white women do this. I was going to say, living my white life. You know, I mean, truly now, I would love that. I would be scared to death. Yep. I was totally scared I, to death. I, but mine would be, oh my God, they're going to snatch me I up. watched too many of but, the movies. But there know. are a lot of people. I think it's a United States thing. It's not a, a yeah. world thing. Like, there's a lot of people of color that solo travel mm-hmm. every time that I meet. We Women, like young that. women, yeah. like younger, there was like 17-year-olds, yeah. like, going on with that and i was like i have read about that in some of my black women magazines that you know yeah why are we traveling more and solo there's a whole another like network of like solo female travelers and then solo female travelers of color and like solo noir (laughs) copyright i like that too okay sorry well listen no that is a crazy wonderful conversation yes with you lady Thanks. And you're welcome. I know we could listen to you all all night, honestly. <laughs> I could talk all night. But uh, I think right. Sky said that we're going to definitely get the reading list emailed out to everyone. Yeah. So everyone that's on this Zoom, uh, the wonderful, wonderful resource list that Nancy 
Kavanaugh brought with her tonight. Uh, we're going to make sure that everyone gets that. I know I've already taken a photo of it. <laughs> yeah, I've got some credits on my Audible that I need to, to fill with some books. Well, and good. It's books, it's videos. Yeah, and it's. I have some podcasts that I could um, add maybe to that. Some podcasts. Yeah, that yeah, I don't know. We've got a, a lot. Look at that. We've got a lot. I've got these ones. Oh, no. We'd like to say a thank you to Ashley and Nancy for our program today. And a special thanks to you folks out there listening in. I hope you enjoyed this show. You can find this and all the other podcasts uh, on any of the areas where you can find podcasts. We are under the name CTM, the podcast. Uh, And you can also find them on our McKinney Center website and Facebook page. Yeah, if you just look at McKinneyCenter.com, programs, CTM. Yeah, and anything else you want to know about the McKinney Center, it's all right there at McKinneyCenter.com. And you can come to the live or, yeah, live version of Conversations (laughs) That Matter. Um, It's still on Zoom, so we're not all together in person, but it is live. Um, And you can find out more about that at McKinneyCenter.com or all the art classes that we offer. So thank you all for being here. Thank you, Michelle and Brittany and Haley. And we'll say bye and see you next time. Bye. Bye. Say bye. (laughs) (laughs) Great job, Haley. Yes. I think you might be be a podcaster when when you get older. Well, I'm going to be a singer when I'm older. You're going to be a what? A singer. Oh, Oh, fabulous. And when I grow up, I'm going to have my own musical. You're going to have your own musical? Yeah. You're going to be like this, the I'm female Lynn Manuel Miranda. Tennessee, and then I'm going to go to New Orleans. And then I'm going to New York City to be super famous. Uh-huh. Look at you. <laughs> you have it all planned. Yeah. What's your favorite musical? Um, Which one do we 80's listen to? 80s Town. 80s Town. <laughs> and, and did you know that Hades' father ate all his children so he doesn't be dethroned but i don't know why hades is is still alive they say that that he ate all of his children but then why is hades still alive well it's hades the titans I, I mean not hades yeah zeus. zeus is he one of his kids too i think oh, yes this is dad this is dad oh. ate his kids so you're wondering why Zeus is still alive? Because he's one of his kids too, right? Yeah. <laughs> he must is have been too powerful. He's yeah. too strong. <laughs> <laughs>